Wake up! Wake up, wake up, wake up! You talking to me? What we've got here is failure to communicate. Hi, hello, you girls, boys, and non-binaries out there. This is your boy, Ron Dawson, coming at you with another edition of your favorite filmmaking podcast that breaks all the rules, Crossing the 180, part of the Art of the Frame podcast network by Film Tools and Pro Video Coalition. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I was cuckoo for kung fu. Or maybe I should say I was gaga for gung fu, depending on whether or not you want to pronounce it with its correct Chinese pronunciation. Anyway... The point is, both my brother and I freaking loved us some martial arts. And we didn't care about the story, the character development, any of that crap. If it had martial arts, <laughs> we watched it. In fact, one of our favorite shows was the Go Rangers, which was essentially the progenitor to the Power Rangers. It aired on Channel 22. This was way before the days of cable. And uh, it wasn't in English. It was some kind of Japanese import. And there were there wasn't even any dubbing or any subtitles. It was just straight up uh, Japanese superheroes speaking in Japanese and kicking monsters' asses. Then, of course, by high school, I was totally into Karate Kid. I even liked that name as sequel. Now, let's forget about the ridiculous premise that a skinny kid from the valley with a few months of wax on and wax off can advance all the way to the end of a black belt level karate tournament against people who've like studied their entire lives. But that was a fun ass movie. I bring all of this up because I think most of us have a childlike love and fascination for the martial arts. Whether you're a fan that goes way back to the films of Bruce Lee, to the beautiful mastery of the films like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, there's something about martial arts and cinema that transcends traditional fight scenes. Today on the show, I have a couple of the filmmakers behind a movie that celebrates the joy and passion of Gung Fu, combined with the comical wit of exploring middle-aged issues of parenthood, responsibility, friendship, trust, and integrity. It's the comedy, The Paper Tigers. No more challenges. Gung Fu without honor. It's just fighting. Three tigers, baby. This movie is incredibly fun, funny, and even thought-provoking. And as of this writing, it has a 97% Rotten Tomatoes rating. And for the first month or so, it was a solid 100. And by the time this episode airs, you'll be able to get the Blu-ray for it. My guests today are Alan Duong, the film's producer, and the writer-director himself, Bao Tran. I think you're really going to dig this conversation. In this episode, we cover all the usual basics, how they made the film, raising the money on Kickstarter, the nearly 10-year journey to get the film made, etc., etc. But like all Crossing the 180 interviews, we break the rules and get into some deeper stuff. 
Like they're taking Asian representation in the business, what they think makes a great martial arts film. Val's answer will definitely surprise you. And I asked them the infamous question, which version of Old Boy had the best hallway fight scene? Park Chan-Wook's or Spike Lee's? There will be links to where you can watch the film or get the Blu-ray on the blog post for this episode at ProVideoCoalition.com. You'll also find links to how you can follow Bao. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at BladeRonner. That's Ronner with an O. And you can follow ProVideo Coalition at ProVideo. But let's cut all the idle chit-chat and get to my interview with Alan Duong and Bao Tran, the producer and director respectively of The Paper Tigers. See you on the other side. Well, actually, while we're waiting for uh, Bao, there's a question I have for you, which I think, because um, I know I want to be respectful of your time, and I know, uh, I think we have a hard stop at uh, in 45, uh, so I want to be able to respect that, if that's the case, because I have a bunch of questions I need to ask you. I need to ask you two. <laughs> um, but uh, I was watching... Uh, Sarah from uh, Welgo sent me a little clip of you talking about your background. And you told the story of, uh, you know, you normally eat Vietnamese food when you're a kid and going to school, having like pizza and all this American food. It was like amazing. And all the white kids threw it away <laughs> and you would dig into the garbage. And I guess your mom asked you, what did you learn that day? And you learned that white, that white kids don't like food. Um, was that something like you really thought in your in your young mind at the time? Yeah, it was. It was one of those things where it's like, because you know, like growing up Vietnamese, like right. usually your parents only like strictly cook Vietnamese food, and sure. so for us growing up, you know, we never, you know, McDonald's was a, a luxury. You know, like that was only like rare, very rare that you would go, you know, get McDonald's, and so I, yeah. I really loved. Um, and I still do. I have like this like soft spot for um, those uh, rectangular uh, pizzas. Oh yeah, that, yeah, I remember those. You know the Old just the really pizza. plain. Cool, and, like, yeah. Oh my god! Like I just love that. Like I, you know, like I don't really care for Italian restaurants. Like I, I want <laughs> like my spaghetti to come from like an ice cream scooper. You know. Yeah, yeah. And, and stuff like that. So I, yeah, I, th I think you are the pizza. What I am the coffee, because. Like I'm happy you with, you know, a one dollar cup of Starbucks coffee. You tell that to a coffee snob, and they're ready to hang you, right? Like, but you yeah. know, it doesn't trick. I've, <laughs> I've actually, over the past couple of months, I've actually started drinking less um, caffeine, and I've started drinking something called Dandy Blend. Have you heard of that? It's basically it's made Does that from have caffeine in it. No, there's no caffeine in it. It's made from like dandy roots. You I can don't get want on... anything to do with this. <laughs> <laughs> for anyone out there who's trying to get off caffeine, though, it's a good thing. Um, but actually, a question for both you guys. I normally start off asking, because um, I like to dive into like the heart of the artist, what makes a, an artist an artist. And I like to ask, like, your, I normally start off with, like, what's your earliest movie memory? And I still want to know the answer from you guys. But coming off of the question about what you learned about white, white kids not liking food um, for both you guys, like when was the first time uh, you realized that you were different from the other kids? Like, was it something right away or was it something that kind of 
you had a revelation like later in life? Mm. That's a deep one. Which which one are we answering? The movie memory or the when we felt we were different? When when you realized you were different, we're starting uh, with that one. Oh. I don't know if there was like a particular aha moment, but I think it was clear. Like you, if you go to school, like you get picked up by your parents and you speak, you know, mm -hmm. Vietnamese them or you know another language. So you always right. felt like there was something that was a little bit different and yeah, and and, and stuff like that. So um, yeah, I think there yeah, there's just kind of a general memory of mm -hmm. of uh, understanding that there there was a difference. There was almost this um, this you know a code switching you know it's almost this yeah. thing that you knew you know in 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 english and, and at the american school and then when you get picked up it, you know you're uh, you kind of uh, turn the page and now you live this new new life and different personality and mm -hmm. almost, mm -hmm. uh when you're at home yeah no that's interesting term yeah. that you uh, used. how about you alan uh pretty similar i mean I, I grew up in the kind of the majority white side of town and so you know i was i was in the beginning, I actually wasn't aware until like a friend specifically, you know, said, you are Asian, how would you understand? And that was that was kind of like a, an aha moment uh, mm -hmm. for me, kind of the earliest, like I was probably maybe in third grade or something like that. Right, then I was right. kind of aware of like, oh, I'm not like my friends. But then, it, sure. it, but then, you know, kind of like what Bao said, you know, like you, you kind of get used to kind of this. I don't know, is dualism or like mm -hmm. kind of this dual life where it's like, you know, you you know when to switch gears, like, oh yeah, speak in your, you know, the language that you only speak at home versus the one that you speak outside of home. And then once you like, you know, find your other Vietnamese friend, then all of a sudden, you know, you can speak your own language, you know, the secret code that you can essentially you can talk shit about other people. <laughs> I right. mean, that's really what it's about. So it's like, yeah. Right, right, right. Hey, before also we this about yeah, go doing ahead. different, but different mm -hmm. that you felt differences because uh, maybe because I, you know, in my little neighborhood, we had like a lot of immigrants. So we had like Cambodians and Mexicans and, and whatnot. And so we always knew that there were differences versus mm -hmm. exactly being, you know, the other or completely, you know, um, you know, that that minority or something. Right. We just always knew we were. Yeah. We all had our differences. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so with that, let's go to the the question I do normally start with. Like, what is what's your earliest movie memory? <laughs> uh, for me, it was uh, oh. doing stop motion animation with like my toys. Um, mm -hmm. Like, probably I was like, I think I was maybe seven or eight. It was mm. it was because my sister she was in. Um, she was actually uh, interested in cameras. So she was the one who right, got me right. started with cameras. And so she would actually borrow my toys and then she actually made the stop motion mm -hmm. animation with it. And and that kind of like kind of was the, the light bulb. I was like, oh my God, you know, you can actually do that, you know? And so that kind of um, got me going, you know. Interesting. So you're Nerd. a nerd. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you have one, Bao? And, and normally, um, what I mean, it's like the first, it's yeah, like the, yeah, yeah. the earliest memory of a movie you saw. But I liked your take on it, Alan. That was kind of that was kind of cool. It was like the earliest memory of something you did in movies. Feba, what's the earliest memory of a movie you saw? It's interesting. Uh, I would say Bruce Lee, uh, kind of growing up with that. But I think mm -hmm. the kind of sense memory that maybe uh, mm -hmm. like kind of similar to what Alan was like. I think because we had this VHS deck and a right. TV, so yeah. you could watch TV. You could play a movie. You could record what you saw on TV and yeah. watch it again. So just that kind of weird 
mm-hmm. you know, t- triptych, you know, food feedback loop of just seeing Bruce Lee or movies uh, on on Kung Fu theater uh, on TV, and you could record that and watch it again and again and record yeah. over the stuff you didn't like. And then, like, it was just an interesting way of of seeing how you could like um, form your memories and start to edit your you know your memories at yeah. the same time. Um, so I always loved you know futzing around with the VHS like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting that you both mentioned Bruce Lee because it's, it's kind of related to a question I wanted to ask. Um, when I was a kid growing up in the LA area, uh, on Channel 22, we would watch, my brother and I would watch Go Rangers and Lion Maru. I don't know if you guys are familiar with those two pieces of cinematic um, masterpieces, but they were, old, <laughs> they were old Japanese martial arts films. No, they were TV shows. Yeah. So essentially, yep. Go Rangers was like a progenitor to Power Rangers. Um, and yep. Lion Maru were like these sword fighting samurai that turned into like humanoid giant cats, like a humanoid white lion and humanoid tiger. Um, yeah. My brother and I would watch these things. There was no, they were in Japanese, no subtitles, but they had like cool fighting. And so, one, like, do any, did you guys have any of those shows? when you were a kid and for you and it sounded like it was bruce lee but like what were your favorite martial arts related either movies or tv shows as a kid um yeah i think uh, at least for me i saw it in bits and pieces i think maybe uh the broadcast stations were a little bit more broad once you go into the vhf you know yeah in la it might be different from uh, here we know you know both of us uh, alan and i are from olympia right uh, but we had kind of just kind of the standard uhf channels uh, but once you kind of get into the deep end of those the dialogues, obviously <laughs> yes. you get all these crazy stuff. So I think I saw bits and pieces. I do know there was that. Um, I do remember like getting toys. Like uh, I, it wasn't a Voltron, but it was like a Voltron ripoff. <laughs> getting toys from my like my cousins oh, yes. or something that were right, right. like visiting Japan or something. And they yeah, would yeah, get yeah. these links, and I knew it was like part of an IP or part of something, but you didn't right. really know what exactly it was. But you got to know it because you studied and you played with a toy and then so when you saw it on tv like oh my god like that's the thing so it always came in like bits and pieces and kind of memories and fragments uh, of kind of like pop culture and, and other and other um you know across across the pacific um so there is that and then obviously you know our families would rent you know uh these vhs tapes uh the latest imports the right. latest dubbed imports from from hong kong so you'd see like jay chan and stephen chow and, and chai sure. and jet Li, sure. and then the whole tvb series which is like the whole Wuxia, uh, Louis Cha type of, um, right, you know, right. these big mega epic, uh, uh, you know, long form VHS tapes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You have these stack of tapes that you would, you would watch and trade and stuff like that. And that was kind of our little baseball trading, you know, type of thing, right. bartering, uh, you know, try to, to get the latest episode. So yeah, it was a whole mishmash. And, and then also just like going out into theater and watching mm-hmm. Spielberg and Cameron. So there's like yeah. whole movie diet, almost in a way that you can only talk about certain things with certain people. And this was before, you know, uh, I guess you would say for the listservs or Reddit or whatever, like you, you could only talk about Asian stuff with your family and you could only talk about like Spielberg and, and Cameron with, you know, right. the white friends, you know, <laughs> right. they, they're the only ones that, you know, we're they seeing those it. things. So it's, it was a, it's an interesting, again, kind of movie code switching movie diet yeah. and kind of like understanding, like, but for me, it was all the same. Like it was all good. Like I could tell like there's different styles of humor, but it, it all felt mm-hmm. like it was all funny. To me. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's why, like, ultimately, like, um, you know, me, Bao, Ken, uh, Michael Velasquez, and stuff like that, like, uh, that were a part of the Paper Tigers team, like, that's what kind of attracted us to each other is that, you know, we kind of grew up 
pretty similarly, you know, like mm-hmm. kind of the the movies that we're inspired by. You know, we all love Hong Kong cinema and stuff like that. Like I was um, uh, really into, you know, the the Wang Fei Hong series of, you know, mm-hmm. like Joy Hawk, um, the Once Upon a Time in China and stuff like that. Like uh, I, I was really into that. Um, Bruce Lee, obviously, Jack Chan, but, you know, like Bao said, you know, you kind of have your regular Hollywood movies, you know, like Jaws. Um, and for me, you know, Tim Burton was a, a huge inspiration for me early on. Um, and then um, stuff like that. But, you know, like once we kind of met each other later in life, like, you know, like we realized, oh, we have a lot of common interests. You know, we, you know, we love all these movies, but at the heart of it, you know, we grew up with Kung Fu and that's, that's sort of, you know, like what connected us with you know especially with the paper tigers mm-hmm. uh yeah, i was, to think of it because yeah. we would see we would see really kind of like kind of wacky stuff from asia yeah and in a lot of ways like it wasn't like it was this whole spigot in america because you had this rating systems and maybe you weren't right. old enough to see or rent something but you kind of got all of it <laughs> right and so right. it's kind of this weird like you know lopsided you know uh in terms of uh mature content you know and then it was just kind of coming in different at different you know at different rates yeah yeah so I, I don't know what that this is why we're screwed up this is what i blame i blame all of that <laughs> right. this is why we are who we are movies uh double-edged sword what <laughs> you know having the paper tigers be a movie about you know kung uh kung fu or, or should i say gung fu i like the fact that they the, in the in the film when the characters makes that distinction about how you really pronounce the word um i have this thing about really wanting to pronounce uh words that have like a foreign origin but like the way they're supposed to be pronounced i uh, i always tell the story of this woman who was an employee of mine and she's uh she's armenian and her name was carolyn or something like that so actually what she liked to be called like carol carolyn and she said whatever you want she kept saying oh i don't care like whatever you want and so i as a joke said okay i'll just call you frank and for like for five years i called her frank because from that but uh i digress <laughs> the uh the question i want to ask is like you know what makes a good martial arts film in your in your estimation it's a tall question i yeah. i think it's i think what makes a good martial arts film is different from what martial arts film do do we want to make i think those are kind of like ah. uh, funny things because i can we can appreciate a lot of uh mm-hmm. you know that runs the gamuts and stuff like that but maybe our sensibility in creating is a little bit more towards towards some, some one kind of mode or one type of uh style um like you know like i was saying like we love all types of these martial arts movies that are just like either bonkers and super or super grounded or whatever but for us you know for me you know uh you know rocky is is a martial arts film mm. and to me i, I love you know all the stuff that, that we has an answer yeah 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 um yeah it's funny like that but exactly it's like we all you know in terms of all the martial arts influence from hong kong and stuff certainly but rocky has some some this like, kind of endearing you know obviously universal mm-hmm. common man underdog thing to right. it um that i i just found so fascinating and it was couched in, in this a fighting movie you know and mm-hmm. he doesn't win and he doesn't have like, you know, he doesn't have that victory, you know, great victory at the end. And that's what kind of give it its power. And mm-hmm. I always find that really, you know, interesting in terms of a sports or a martial arts thing where you're always kind of expected to win and be the best and be all those things. So uh, that was kind of like a little bit of an inspiration and in just trying to figure out what, what this movie was going to be that we wanted to make was try to emulate something like that. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, you know, we, we kind of like um, kind of followed down that. But also we were thinking, you know, uh, we wanted to be to do for kung fu movies what Shaun the Dead did for zombie movies. You know, we just had mm-hmm. a whole mishmash of influences and mm-hmm. varieties of, of 
moods and tones and just different things that would just want to jam into this one movie. Yeah, and yeah, I can imagine. It still feels like a one of a whole, right? Because right. it still comes from one, you know, one voice, you know, hopefully it all sure. kind of makes sense. But the, exactly that whole movie diet was so varied that we just loved the, all the things that we want to do. And uh, I guess I'm kind of rambling here, but, you know, it, like you, you see a lot of Hong Kong movies and sometimes they tend to, a little bit, you know, the action is incredible, but ten, tends to be like really melodramatic or just mm, like yeah. really... Uh, a little bit too much um so mm -hmm. i want to you know figure out how to bring that a little bit closer to, to reality but i feel like some of the u.s hollywood films um tend to be too cynical mm -hmm. about the world and tends to be have like a little bit too like gritty and realism and that seems to be right. a thing where everything has to be jaded and very like, right uh very you know gritty so in a way we wanted to lift that up in a way so it wasn't that self-conscious but in terms of just how we react to how we felt about watching certain things is in a way kind of inspired us to what we want to do here. Yeah. Did you have a question, an answer to that one, Alan? Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, going along with what Bao was saying is that, you know, sometimes, you know, when you say, oh, I'm going to make a great Kung Fu movie, you know, like you, you just purely focus on the action. But, you know, like, I think what, you know, bringing back Shaun of the Dead is that, you know, what they did with the zombie movies was that, you know, they focused less I would say they focused less on the zombie aspect of the movie and actually focused on the main characters so that mm -hmm. you actually cared about these main characters. So with, you know, like the Paper Tigers or any action movie, like what actually makes a great action movie is that you actually see a value in those, you know, main characters that you're following. And so that everything that happens to them, there's actually a weight to mm -hmm. it, or there's an actual, like you're invested at that point. Whereas opposed to having you know like just kind of like senseless action you know what i mean that yeah. that's what makes a bad action movie and, sure. and it becomes senseless be because you didn't develop those characters you didn't develop those relationships and so that's why you know like i i just felt that you know with the paper tigers you know we were invested in those main characters and this brotherhood and these relationships that they have with each other so that you know when one goes down everyone kind of feels that weight um mm -hmm. and and so yeah yeah, yeah. You were you were mentioning earlier about uh, influences and um, in, my, in my research, you know, was research on you. I was watching one of your films, your film Bookie. Uh, I think you made it back in 2007. And at the end of that, the main character gets in this fight and it gave me old boy vibes because he gets it. Mm. I don't know if it was inspired by that, but, you know, referencing the Park Chan-wook film, I think from like early 2000s or something. Um, and uh, there's a scene in that in Old Boy where the main character is like in this hallway. It's like this famous scene. Like he's in this hallway. Have you seen it? Yeah. Yeah. So the scene I was because I was gonna ask you about. There's a scene where he's in this hallway and he's fighting, and it's like this one long shot. It's like a winner. It's really long, and it seems like he's going to be. He's like what basically is one guy against twenty, and uh, so I had two questions. One. Uh, was there an inspiration of that fight scene at the end of Bookie from that? Um, if it wasn't, that's cool. But two, the other question I had, which is probably going to be a controversial one, who, comparing the original old boy fight scene to the Spike Lee version <laughs> fight scene, um, yeah. which fight scene do you think did it best? Uh, Being a director of fight easy, scenes. I'll answer the easy question first, which <laughs> is... Uh, uh, I don't know. I guess they're both easy. Uh, I think uh, the original old boy did it best. Uh -huh. uh, I don't, and it was not, I don't think it was a 
specific influence uh, for us when we when we mm-hmm. shot that scene in Pokey. Yeah, um, I'm not sure if we had any. I'm trying to think back to the Mood Boys. I don't remember Old Boy being a thing. Otherwise, you know, uh, I think the Wonder is kind of the one that kind of sticks out. The exhaustion from that from mm-hmm. the shot was, you know, is definitely you know, uh, right. you know, uh, one of the great cinematic moments of in history. Uh, sure. I think for us, uh, yeah, I don't know what it was. I don't know if there was a particular influence. Maybe budget was the influence. Like didn't have a lot of money. <laughs> right. Can so you a sing- Yeah, basically kind of a two single sort. You know, so, uh, source lights. Uh, so no, it was no, kind no. of that no, maybe that bare. Um, you know, thing that was kind of maybe gave that sure. same vibe as well. So sure. How about how about you, Alan? Which of the two films, Old Boy One or Old Boy Two? You think did that fight scene better, and why? Um. To be honest, I didn't see the Spike Lee one. Okay. Uh, so I, I have fond memories of the first one. So uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, so that's easy answer for. Me. Yeah, yeah. So. You know, uh, a number of the comments on YouTube, as you might imagine, had some comments on the on the Spike Lee one. A lot of the comments they mentioned was that in the Spike Lee version, the Josh Brolin character almost seems like Superman, whereas in the original <laughs> one, you can really see the exhaustion of the main character and the fact that he keeps coming back is part of what feeds into it. And so I thought that was interesting. And so for you, you know, Bao, as someone who's directed fight scenes, particularly for the Paper Tigers, you know, one of the things that I appreciate about the film is that it feels it feels very real. Like like when you see them fighting, it kind of feels like, oh, that's like what a real um, uh, gung fu fight would look like. How did you go about directing those those scenes? And how did you go about even thinking about the fight scenes, knowing that they would be such a, a central part of the movie? Yeah, uh, I mean, basically, it's it's kind of part of uh, part and parcel to the hard work and genius of our action director Ken Kedigua, um, who you'll see in the film as well and featured in the film as well. Um, and the way we kind of came about it is like just thinking about Shaw Brothers in a street fight. You know what that would be. Um, definitely have the kung fu shapes and the flavors and all that, so it still looks like kung fu, but you know, make it sloppy, a little bit more messed up, a little bit slower, a little more out of step, out of beat, and all those things. Um, there's another short film that we had done together called The Challenger, which is kind of like a cleaner version. We kind of call that the classical uh, version of Kung Fu choreography and just crisp, fast, and just sharp and powerful. And then what we want to do is just turn that all over on its head and just what that would look like in this world because these characters are, you know, not meant to be, you know, uh, super exciting. Uh, so that's kind of the challenge also, like how do you kind of make it cinematically interesting but also make it true to uh, what's happening with the characters because if you hoist them up on wires and start flying up and you know that you know kind of defeats the whole purpose of what right. we're trying to tell uh so we are kind of like trying to hew towards a certain style and make choices that are very specific to this world um and so yeah it's also a bit of undoing a lot of our habits and kind of the things that we have as far as our training as as, as action filmmakers to we look for certain things that look powerful look mm-hmm. look strong uh, so it was a lot of undoing. So we had, sometimes we had to take the second best take or maybe the take that wasn't, you know, the circle take in that sense, because we wanted the stuff that looked a little off and it looked a little you know, less powerful than, than it should be. Uh, so it was a lot of kind of like trial and error and trying to find the right uh, selection of shots around that. And I think there was right. one scene where um, a hanger, Ron, played by Ron, who does a kick and he actually slips and falls. And we take that, we use that take when we put that in the film. So mm. in a way, it was just kind of embracing those little happy accidents and those things that kind of like, you know, uh, occur on the day and just, you know, try to use it and, and slip it into the, the movie to, to enhance that story. 
Yeah, yeah, no, no, I bet. I mean, I bet. I can only imagine what it was like. I mean, even, I mean, one of the things that you really get a sense of from watching the film, like, at least I got a sense that it was a joy to create. Like it comes through, and was it? So like some some films, like even the artist can feel proud about the accomplishment. They were like a slog to get through. But this looks like, mm -hmm. and oftentimes this, you know, true with comedies, um, this looks like it was a real joy to actually um, shoot. What was that process like? Like, first of all, like, was it a joy to shoot? And then like, what was that journey like bringing it to the screen? Because I know like you guys had a Kickstarter first in order to kind of raise money for it. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, oh, here's this great script and you get a deal and then and then you're off to the races. It was a joy for me to make. I don't know about for Alan, but yeah. <laughs> uh, As Alan rolls his eyes. All the way. Alan, the producer, <laughs> rolls his eyes. Yeah, yeah. It's a mix of both. I think, you know, we're, when you're in the trenches, that's what makes it even more important that you have people that you work with and like and trust uh, because you're, you, we are, we did push ourselves, you know, to the limit. It was very, very challenging, very grueling because it's an indie film and you're trying to shoot a very ambitious action film on a certain schedule and, you know, still keep the bar high. Right. Terms of trying to get it so you know if it weren't for our sense of humor if it weren't for our, our joyfulness we wouldn't have been able to make it through uh for sure uh so you know that definitely kind of helped us uh, afloat uh during the shooting obviously that's very challenging but you know the whole process of raising money like you mentioned is grueling as well you know in fact it's like i think it's the least least favorite you know part of the whole movie making i mean we raise money just so the fact that we can get back on set that's the drug that we like and actually creating uh you know the scene and getting it on its feet we're not financiers we're not like money people that really try to that's that doesn't get us up in the morning to like count the dollars it's like we, right. we want to be creative and that's what we want to do uh so that that is a huge challenge in, in independent film and especially you know for the stuff that we were trying to do um, so yeah, I mean the whole Kickstarter process itself is uh, super stressful, but Alan had led the charge on that. Yeah, yeah, Good yeah. God, it was. Um, I mean this this whole thing. I mean it it was a ten year process, you know, like just to make get this movie off the ground. And um, you said ten years and ten years. Wow. Uh, Bao wrote the script about ten years ago, and then um, and then I hopped on. This is going to be in my eighth year. Um, and Bao and I have been, you know, like, uh, we hit the road and we, you know, try to fundraise, we try to do it the, you know, the traditional way of, you know, handing a script over to the studio and then hopefully, you know, like we'll get all the, the millions raining down on us. <laughs> but like, um, yeah, of course it, it didn't go that way. You know, we, we were offered millions of dollars to, um, uh, swap out, you know, our main character into a Caucasian character. Uh, we got a lot of, you know, the, the pushback on, you know, the race of our characters. And, and so, um that kind of extended the time for us to fundraise and so ultimately that's what led to kickstarter mm -hmm. and you know like 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 bow said i mean like we're we're natural we're we're naturally creative so fundraising like mm -hmm. and just promoting constantly like that is, is just sort of like out of the norm for us and so kickstarter was tough i mean it was it was an unknown and mm -hmm. the thing was is that it's public as well so if you you know if we didn't raise the our goal which was one hundred ten thousand dollars. i mean like it we wouldn't have you know that would have been a public failure but luckily right. you know the the people came out people came out and we raised one hundred twenty four thousand dollars, and wow. that really catapulted us um and you know that was sort of the, the the one thing that we can hold and present to our private investors and go hey we have an audience out there that really mm -hmm. wants this movie and and ultimately that's what led to our production being green lit 
mm-hmm. and we but then at the same time we also held you know the 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 keys right like we had the power behind the camera to cast whoever we wanted and and thankfully we did and yeah. uh, and got an, an amazing cast and and you know like you said you know it the chemistry is just something that like you can't plan for you know that's right. just something that happens you bring in these three tigers separately from different areas and they just so happen to get along with each other and, and that's something that like you know there, there's so many things that could have gone wrong but it, it all went right and and that's what you know kind of led to the success of the movie yeah yeah i, th- I think you either read or heard somewhere that your your final budget ended up being like closer to a million or something but it looks way more expensive than that like is there something you do specifically in order to put that those extra looking dollars on the screen how do you how do you accomplish that and a million I mean, may sound think, like a lot to some people, but I think most people listening to this, most people who listen to this podcast are familiar with the industry and they know that that's like, you know, that's sub indie nowadays. <laughs> sub indie. And then also for an action movie. I mean, yes. that's, that's way down there. Right. Um, I, I think for us, you know, we've always been on the same page uh, across the board amongst the core of the group is that, you know, whatever money that we have, we have to make sure it goes to the screen, you know, mm-hmm. like, and making sure that you know we first and foremost like we we take care of crew we take care of the people that you know are working with us but at the same time we want to make sure that you know we're squeezing every penny and making sure that it goes towards the can um the the screen so whether it's you know the cameras that we use whether it's you know the uh, production design everything like that you know we want to make sure that we're choosing the right things and it's not just about the money it's about um getting the right people in, getting the right um, the department heads that understand exactly creatively what we're trying to do and what type of story that we're trying to tell. Yeah, yeah. I had a couple of questions about the story itself. One, I know, you know, I, I lived in the Seattle area for a while. And so I was able to recognize, like one guy shot in Seattle, which I assume is probably more expensive than shooting someplace else. I mean, there's a reason why people shoot in, you know, in Toronto and Vancouver, or whatever. But um but re- correct me if I'm wrong, I don't remember seeing any landmarks that specifically scream Seattle. Like, if you didn't live in Seattle, you wouldn't nece- necessarily know Seattle. Like, there was no shot of the Space Needle, to my knowledge. Was that a conscious decision on your, po- your part? Or by necessity, are you not allowed to shoot some of those things because it would cost extra money? I don't know. Um, yeah, I do. It was an intentional thing to kind of set the scene of the, the location of the city to feel like if you knew Seattle, you would know. Certainly, uh, you feel the texture and the, and the opening right. scenes. We have, you know, music from Kid Sensation, which is an, I can early act with uh, Sir Mix mm-hmm. a lot. So you kind of mm-hmm. know the Seattle vibe. You right. kind of will start to kind of feel it. Uh, so, yeah, no blatant call outs or postcard shots of, of, of the Space Needle or the fish throwing in high place. Or anything right, right, like right. That. that was the other one I was thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't, you know, it's not really the world that these guys are in. You know, they're mm-hmm. either suburban life or they are in Chinatown. And those are kind yeah. of two codes like that, that we wanted to kind of establish that they're being kind of torn and pulled back and forth from. Uh, so you have kind of those uh, uh, those vibes that if you know, I mean, if you know Chinatown International District, you will know those sites and right. you know those scenes for sure. Um, so, you know, it's, it's funny enough if you want to watch it and look for it, but it's certainly not a scene that we want to kind of, it, it, let's, let's put it this way. It, it wasn't necessarily a thing where 
it was a blatant character in the film. You know, right. some films do want to establish that city or the location, like yeah. New York or something. It's a, it's a vibe, and it's a real character in the film. It wasn't like that for us, but it was also a, a way of just uh, kind of like feeling feeling the world and you kind of know it's like when you see kind of this uh, evergreen shrubbery and this rain. Mm-hmm. Uh, these scenes where rain just dumps and pours that that is pacific northwest yeah. uh, and so it is you know you don't really get away from that look uh regardless so there is all that part of that texture yeah there's a restaurant scene where there's a lot of white curtains was that mocha teo by mm-hmm. any chance no it was uh, Har- uh china harbor out oh, okay uh, South, uh, lake, lake union okay because yep. there's i went to a wedding in mocha teo and it looked very much like that well, you know, that is your kind of like good um, central casting, you know, Chinese yeah, yeah. banquet hall restaurants <laughs> yes. for sure. That's Actually, it was an Asian wedding I went to. <laughs> now that I yep. come, yep. come, yep. come to think of it. Um, there's a question. Of, uh, I would be remiss not to ask you guys being a black man. Um, but there's a scene in the movie where in a, um, one of the characters says the N-word to, because the three main characters are, are both like two of the guys are Asian, one's a black guy. And they're fighting these other guys. I don't. I won't give away too much of the story. But one of the guys says the N word to the black guy, and it's like a hard with the hard er. I wanted to know where. The, and then later on, he kind of comments on it, and and I thought in a very cool way after they kind of have their battle or whatnot. Um, I don't want to give away like what happens, but I wanted to know like were there discussions with the with the actors around the use of that and how you would do it and how you would direct it. I'm curious what your thinking was around that in terms of directing it, in terms of uh, like if that discussion came up. Yeah, well, I guess just peeling back a little bit further, you know, what what I wanted to do, at least with the the script was try to find these characters that were kind of reflections Hmm. of these three guys and their youth, you know, it's like, because in the beginning of the film, you see these guys, the tigers uh, with all the swag and just like, uh, but also very rude, you know, to go to a dojo with your shoes on and just yeah. busting heads and just like smashing people like that's, yes. you know, pretty, pretty crossing the line. And definitely, you know, what, not what Cebu teach, taught and preached, you know, right. for them to do. So in a way, it was also them to kind of like encounter their past lives and kind of encounter mm-hmm. a juiced up version of who they are. Right. And also what that looks like here in the modern world. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of the thing, especially like when you have now in Asian American culture where hip hop culture is often like an appropriate or kind of cross meshed mm-hmm. and influenced by there is a lot of like the N word gets used quite a bit. Like I'll mm-hmm. tell you, maybe I don't know if it's even closer. It's just quite open. Like yeah. Asian Americans tend to use that word very openly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's still jarring and you know, it's jarring for me and for my generation. And so it should be the same jarring for, for the tigers to kind of hear how, how openly mm-hmm. that is used. Um, and it's also a way to kind of give the rallying cry for that, that one for all, all for one, so that when one's aggrieved among the tires and all right. of them are aggrieved and try to back, have that call to action. Yeah. Um, so yes, so we, I think we all understood dramatically what it was there for. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a conversation, yes, behind the scenes about how to kind of treat it, how exactly uh, Mikkel, the actor who plays Jim, would react, whether he would accept the apology or not, or just, mm-hmm. and I kind of left it to him to how he wanted to say it, because there yeah. is kind of a scene that kind of like, um is kind of a this olive branch and then i kind of left it to Mikel as far as how he wanted yeah. to to kind of treat it and, he, and you see him how he does it in the film was exactly how he was feeling so it was kind of a, like that, that kind of like creative process just trying to understand okay here's a here's the thing we're gonna have right now, how are we gonna kind of treat it and kind of react around it and what what is that all going to be for these characters yeah no i appreciate the rawness of the character and you know the character going there for sure 
one of the questions I want to make sure I get to before we run out of time is, you know, this the idea of uh, Asian representation in Hollywood and how it's progressing. And, you know, as of the taping of this, one of the big things in the news lately. Racism is over. As of yes. the taping of this, racism That's is over. That's right. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> we did it. Congratulations. We did it. Circa well, an Asian woman did win yeah. best. Uh, an Asian woman did win best director. So now. That's right. You got two birds That's with right. one stone with Chloe there. Um, Beautiful. Um, but. You know, as of this taping, uh, there's a lot of brouhaha over the 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 Canadian TV show Kim's Convenience, which is this delightful show. I only just discovered it like a few months ago, and I heard it's being canceled. And you know, Simu Liu, who's 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 now going to go into Marvel fame, he's going to be playing in um, uh, in Shang Chi and Marvel. Uh, he he's spoken out about the cancellation of it, and then. Jean Yoon also spoke out about it. She played the mother in that. And, you know, there were some articles about like racism on the set. And one of the things that Simu points out in this, in his Facebook post is that, you know, he wanted to go on and continue doing it because there were some thoughts that maybe that he was Marvel, he'd be too big to do Kim's convenience. And he, he said, that's not the case. But he was frustrated with the fact that the producers weren't continuing the show but they're doing a spin-off of the one white character in the in the show which when i read that i was like are you serious so my thoughts you know my question to you guys one if you have any particular uh input or insight into that particular situation because that's the one that's currently but in general just you know how asians are represented in hollywood you're to, to the extent you feel any kind of um, obligation if you will to kind of change that and your thoughts around both those topics Ooh, big one. Uh, yeah, maybe both of us can kind of chime in with our two cents, but I'll, I'll yeah, go first. Sure. But um, yeah, it's um, I think even just uh, where we are in a moment is it's starting to contrast even more clearly, I guess, who it's not about just who is in front of the screen, uh, who's mm -hmm. being on screen, mm -hmm. but also who's creators, who are the showrunners, who are the you know executives in power that are kind of green lighting and, and kind of ushering all those decisions, those thousand decisions that happened before that, you know, the one that breaks the camel's back, if you will, you know, there's, it's not just that one moment, you know, that, that the walk off or anything like that. There's a thousand things that are happening that go into that moment. Um, so it's interesting kind of having a release of our film at the same time, because in a way we're, we're seeing kind of diversity and representation being uh, kind of used as a kind of a catchword or a kind of a, a hot brand word, mm -hmm. uh, you know, by movies and productions that are, are that are out there, but you know you can kind of look behind the scenes that it's not really POC driven, it's not really you know you know uh, owned or, or 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 basically you know um, you know it doesn't really come from that kind of POC driven create creative right. voice. Um, so that's kind of like something that you're going to see uh, uh, as we go forward about checking you know uh, who exactly is kind of creating and we should be challenging and checking who who is behind the scenes for this work. Uh, because it's not enough now. I think we're starting to really see it's not enough now to just have, you know, uh, five POC characters and, and two white characters. And there, diversity, right? right? It's right, not right. the same. It's like, who's writing these characters? Are they fully fleshed? Are they real? Are they, you know, do they have dimensions and, and so on? And so to me, it's less about genre, but it's more about who's, who, who's in the driver's seat. Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, just for us, you know, we had a lot of pushback about, you know, making martial arts films from our own community, from Asian Americans. 
uh, it's like, well, it seems like you're just fulfilling a stereotype, you know, mm-hmm. all Asians don't do martial arts, but now you're just, you know, perpetuating another thing. Right. And so it's a, it's a bit of a conversation about trying to understand exactly who exactly is telling the story and whether it's martial arts, because we love martial arts. Like, sorry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> like we love right. martial arts. Yeah. It's, thing, it's, it's this thing we tell, but we're going to tell it with the right tender, loving care. That's going to make sense. You know, that, you know, hopefully when people see it, they, they see it comes from a place of honesty. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are kind of two different things that we, I think, um, you know, as we see these controversies kind of flare up, these controversies, these issues that have been happening behind the doors, uh, behind the scenes, you know, for so many years, now we're actually, you know, putting it out into the open, you know, mm-hmm. uh, shedding some light on it. Uh, and uh, hopefully, you know, we can start being a little more critical about the work that's going to be coming out in the coming future um, of all kinds. And it doesn't mean matter what genre, but now we're going to look in the right places and ask the right questions about yeah. diversity and representation. Oh, great. How about you, Alan? What are your yeah. thoughts? I mean, I I don't have any specific comments about the Kim's convenience thing, but like, I mean, just to take a page out of our book, you know, like, studios weren't you know ready for the paper tigers 10 years ago you know mm. and that was you know, we were pitching before crazy rich asians and black panther yeah and even even five years ago or whatever you know after black panther and mm-hmm. um you know crazy rich agents came out you know we came back to you know those same studios and we're like hey look at what they're doing you know there's an audience and you know for them they even said black panther is because you know was popular because of marvel it, it has nothing to do with you know it's blackness or whatever it is, you know? And I was just like, are you serious? Like there's kids now who are dressing up as their superhero that looks like them for Hollywood. Like they didn't understand how powerful that was. And with Crazy Rich Asians, they said it was a one-off, you know? And they just Mm. didn't see the value in that giant audience that came out to watch this movie. And so now if you're telling me, you know, now Hollywood is promoting representation, I call bullshit on that because, you know, now representation is just a, a marketing term you know like now they're realizing that people of color are coming out in troves like to watch these movies and essentially give, give them money and and so now you're starting to see more and more of these blo- uh, blockbuster movies of plugging and playing you know like okay i got my black guy here i got my asian here and i got you know done representation kind of like what you know um about said you know they're just checking boxes at this point and so we, as an audience we have to be smarter this and realize that you know what are the quality of these roles like who's behind the camera making these decisions you know like tyler perry you know he's making his own decisions now he's you know set his own table he's creating opportunities for you know um people who would not have this type of support at the studio level and so for you know asian americans i think we're we're at that point where it's like we can't wait for studios to catch up you know like again they weren't ready for us 10 years ago five years ago they weren't ready for us and then now you know like we've you know we've made it on our own terms even though you know we sacrifice a lot it was tough as hell to get here but you know like we made these decisions and hopefully movie number two whatever it is doesn't take another 10 years and hopefully we've paved a path for other asian american filmmakers to you know pitch their um, scripts and you know and and give them the opportunity to tell authentic stories i think that's a good place to stop you guys this has been great i could talk to you guys for so much longer thank you guys so much for taking this time i appreciate it thanks for having us all right good chatting take care guys bye-bye what a cool couple of dudes i can't wait to see what they come up with next 
And if you like this interview, we have many more amazing, engaging, insightful interviews coming up, including Alice Brooks, the DP from In the Heights, Dina Olafrova, the DP for the Peacock series We Are Lady Parts, Kimmy Gatewood, a director of the Netflix rom-com Good on Paper, Yolanda Cochran, a senior VP of live television production at Nickelodeon, and many, many more. So please be sure to stay tuned to this podcast channel. Crossing the 180 is a production of Blade Runner Media and part of the Pro Video Coalition's Art of the Frame podcast series. This episode was produced, written, edited, and hosted by yours truly, Ron Dawson. Remember, Gong Fu without honor is just fighting. And in filmmaking, if the story sucks, I don't care what you shot it on or cut it with. Until next time. Do we have bow here? Or yeah, he said he's switching his uh, Bluetooth or something like that. Ah, but we don't need him. You can answer uh, director or whatever. Right. <laughs> uh, they're overrated. Way overrated. Right. Way. <laughs>